and welcome to Behind the Health Statistic. My name is Lara Kaup and I'm a lecturer at Cardiff University School of Healthcare Sciences. In this episode of the Women's Health series, I'll be talking to Wendy, who is trustee and vice chair of Lupus UK and also runs Lupus support groups. Wendy is also the campaign lead for lupus and autoimmune disease for fair treatment for the women of Wales. Wendy will be sharing her story and experience of lupus. Lupus is an autoimmune disease, a condition in which the immune system is dysfunctional and mistakenly identifies the body's own cells as foreign invaders and attacks them. This process causes inflammation and damage in various parts of the body presenting with a wide range of possible symptoms. Common symptoms can include extreme fatigue, joint and muscle pains, skin rashes and hair loss. Lupus can affect any of the body's organs, including the kidneys, heart, lungs and brain. Studies have estimated that approximately one in 1,000 people living with lupus in the UK. It is a disease which can affect anyone but disproportionately affects certain groups. Around 9 in 10 cases are diagnosed in women. It is 3 to 4 times more prevalent in people of Black, African, Caribbean and Asian ethnicity and is typically more severe within these communities. Lupus develops in people who have a genetic predisposition but it requires environmental triggers. Due to its varied presentation and complex nature, It takes an average of 6.4 years for someone to be diagnosed after the onset of first symptoms. Lupus is a chronic disease which is often relapsing and remitting in nature. Periods of relatively active disease are referred to as flares. There is currently no cure for lupus and therefore treatment is focused on managing symptoms and limiting damage. Treatment can include anti-malarials, steroids, immunosuppressives and biological therapies. So let's go over to the conversation with Wendy. Thank you, Wendy, for for joining me today and for sharing your experience with me. Hi, hi, Lara, no problem. Yeah. Um, So if we if we could start with um, just a general question, really. So we're going to talk about your your experience of of lupus. Um, But could we could we start with you know, what is what is lupus, first of all? Yeah. yeah, lupus is a rare autoimmune disorder. It's a chronic condition. So once you're diagnosed, you're living with it. It's lifelong. Um, there's no cure for lupus. Um, basically, something triggers your autoimmune system um, and there's nothing there for it to attack. So it attacks itself. Um, and this can lead to inflammation and soreness. Um, and problems with any part of your body basically Um, you can get joint and muscle aches and pains you can have kidney problems you can have skin issues um, which includes the butterfly facial rash you can suffer from depression um, flu-like symptoms so fevers there can be um, unexplained weight loss you can get headaches migraine Raynards is quite common so that's a circulation problem 
oral and nasal ulcers, extreme fatigue, and sometimes, unfortunately, heart and lung involvement as well. So basically, it's a whole host of problems. And no two lupus patients will ever have the same symptoms. So that makes it really, really tricky to, uh, to diagnose. Gosh, yeah, that, that sounds like a, you know, a whole list of, you know, symptoms and, and side effects there that, um, yeah, like you say, a whole host of, of, of difficulties that can, that can come from it. And um, I will ask you about your, your personal journey in a moment, but um, in terms of like diagnosing lupus, is, is this a condition that people are born with, do you know, or is it something that can develop over time? Yeah, to be honest with you, I don't think it's really known at the moment. Um, it's most common in women of childbearing age, but children can also get it. Um, nine out of 10 lupus patients are female, but one out of 10 are male. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a really, really tricky one to sort of pin down because they think that there could be indicators in childhood, for example, growing pains or teenage migraine, or you might have had glandular fever. There can be triggers like that, but then also having a baby and hormonal issues with women. Um, so at the moment, we're not really sure whether there's sort of like a, there is a genetic predisposition or whether it's something that's there with everybody and is triggered by certain things in your lifetime. Um, so for myself, looking back, I did suffer from teenage migraine and growing pains, and I did have whooping cough really bad as a child as well. So there's a few things in my own history that that could indicate that I'd had it from a younger age, but I didn't get diagnosed until I'd had my third child. So um, I'll never know whether I'd been living with it all that time and it had been under control until I had my children. Who knows? Who knows? That's really interesting and something that struck me there was the, the statistic of, um, what was it, was it nine? Nine out of ten. Nine out of ten people are women. Yeah. Um, and you kind of only really hear about statistics of women being more likely to have a condition that is more associated with women and, and maybe like their, their reproductive uh, yeah. organs and things like that. So to hear that, that an autoimmune um condition is yeah. that common it, that much more common in women than men is is really quite um significant isn't it yeah and I think that hormone thing is really important as well because a lot of lupus patients find that during their monthly cycle their lupus symptoms can be worse so it can seem part and parcel of your periods for years which adds adds complications and diagnosis because you know you've got that is it is it my period making me feel this way or is there something else going on? Um, so, yeah, it's it's a very, very tricky one. But, yeah, mostly women, unfortunately. Yeah, so um, are you able to tell us a little bit about or a bit about your journey to diagnosis um, in terms of like your symptoms, kind of when they began and how yeah. how did you come to be diagnosed yourself? Yeah, sure. Well, with hindsight, um, I think I probably had it from the birth of my third child um, in 2008. Um, and I did actually, after taking maternity leave, go back to my job as a legal executive at that point. 
but I just wasn't coping very well. I was really tired. Um, I was quite emotional. Um, I couldn't cope in work. I found I was locking myself in the bathroom and crying. I just couldn't face anybody. Um, and I started to get what I didn't realize at the time was a reaction to the sun. So um, on exposed areas, I'd started to get really not just sunburn, something far worse than that. And I'd realized that it was an issue and I'd started to cover up, but I didn't realize what that meant. Um, and I had quite a lot of sores on my head. So tiny little patches that were sort of crusty and sore and inflamed um, and sometimes with losing hair. Um, but again, I didn't know, I didn't know what lupus was. And at that time I couldn't sort of take a step back and think, well, actually this is, this is the start of something. So time went on. I handed in my notice at the solicitors, um, decided to take some time out and just be at home with my children. And maybe that would help me feel better. Um, I'd had three children quite close together. So, you know, am I just an exhausted mum? And then it basically, my younger daughter went to school full time. So I thought I really need to try and do something. So I took a job as a teaching assistant in a school. Um, but again, I just, I never seemed to get on top of things. I was just exhausted all the time um, and just not coping. So it, we got to sort of October 2013 and I really was struggling with the fatigue. It was horrific. I was putting my three children to bed at seven and by half past seven, I was going to bed myself and I'd sleep right through until the alarm clock at seven the next morning and I'd wake up and I'd be absolutely exhausted still. And I'd just want to spend the day in bed. But when you've got three children, um, you know, by this time they were nine, eight and five there's no chance of getting a daytime nap or anything like that and I was really feeling like I was almost like a zombie walking around because I was just fatigued all the time and I couldn't understand what was going on so as was not unusual in our house at the time I'd gone to bed with the children my husband stayed up and watched tv and he watched a program um with uh Brian Cox um and they featured a lupus medication and he watched it and he came up and he woke me up and said, I think I know what's wrong with you. I think you've got lupus. Um, and basically, I was so tired. I got really annoyed with him and said, leave me alone. Why have you woken me up? I need my sleep. Um, and sort of told him to go away. Um, and then he went off to work the next morning, poor thing. And um, I thought, oh, I'll Google that because I, I don't know what it is. Um, and I Googled it and the list of symptoms came up and I thought, oh my goodness, I think he's right. I, I think I have got this, even though I didn't know, I'd never heard of it until that point. Wow. Um, so I made an appointment with the GP and I was really lucky that she listened because I know a lot of doctors don't like patients turning up um, in their room and sort of Dr. Google and you've worked it out for yourself. I know a lot of them are, are against that, but luckily my GP did listen. I didn't know that she had an extra qualification in skin issues. So she was the right GP for me to see at that time. And she looked at the sores I had on my head. And by this point, we'd been on holiday to um, Turkey in the March, April time. 
And again, I'd blistered in the sun on my arms, my chest, my back, and I still had scarring from that. So she looked at me and she said, yeah, I think you could be right. I need to run some blood tests. So luckily for me, she ordered all the correct blood tests and they came back. I had a positive um, ENA and a positive anti-RUE blood test and some of my blood tests were um, on the borderline for anemia as well so she basically phoned me and said your blood tests have confirmed that you have lupus and I think you've got systemic lupus so I need to refer you to a rheumatologist and that was basically what got the ball rolling so I know the average lupus diagnosis takes over six years I think for me, I'd probably had it already about five years at that point, but I was lucky that once I went to the GP, we sorted that part of my diagnosis out very, very quickly. Unfortunately, when I went to see um, a rheumatologist, which I paid privately for because I was so poorly and I got told that the NHS waiting list could be four months and, you know, life with three children at home, I just couldn't cope for four more months going downhill as I felt I was so he paid for me to see somebody privately um, and he unfortunately said that he couldn't see any systemic issues with me and he diagnosed me with SCLE which is um, subacute cutaneous lupus erythematosus um, and basically said you'll only suffer during the summer months because you're photosensitive so chances are you'll take hydroxychloroquine for the summer months only and you'll be well in the winter and this isn't really going to affect your life. I'm not worried about it, you know, that much. So at that point, I thought, oh, well, OK, perhaps I haven't got systemic lupus. Perhaps he's right. Perhaps I will be one of the lucky ones that, you know, it doesn't really affect me um, very much. So then I went to my NHS rheumatology appointment then in the March 2014 and that rheumatologist went along with the original diagnosis of SDLE um, and, and that was it basically but as time went on um, I realised that I did have systemic issues um, the more I read about my illness and the more I talked to other people I joined um, an online forum Health Unlocked which is administered by Lupus UK um, and read a lot of other patient experiences and got all the books I could from Lupus UK um, and just thought if I'm going to be living with this I need to understand it I need to know about it that's the type of person I am no matter how bad it is I needed to know for myself so I read a lot um, and I realized that I thought I fitted the criteria for a systemic diagnosis. So um, I had to start asking for a second opinion and that was where things got really, really complicated and tricky for me. Well, that's really, um, that's really fascinating. Um, particularly you said that the, the um, average like diagnosis time is, is five years and um, or six years. Um, which one was it it was say? it's just over six years yeah I do know people that have been living it with it for far longer I mean some people unfortunately 20 years plus before diagnosis yeah. um and uh, you know the statistics show that that is unfortunately when the organ damage can can occur that's most likely to occur before you start medication so the longer the diagnosis journey the worse position you are in before you start your medication and how much of that do you think is down to people as individuals not like raising their concerns or not um, asking those questions? And how much of that might be down to 
you know, health healthcare practitioners just not, you know, referring patients or not thinking that it is. Yeah. Dangerous. I think there's a big problem there, unfortunately. And, um, you know, there's been some great work by Melanie Sloan at Cambridge University and the Wolfpack, as they've become um, known with their research papers. They've done a lot with um, surveys with lupus patients and written a lot of papers that have been published in the last few years. And it's definitely an issue for women. Um, like I said, I myself didn't really know what was going on with me. I'd had my three children and, you know, I... I was trying to work, run a home, look after children. So even mean, I kind of thought, is it just being a mum and being tired at this age in life? Um, and unfortunately, a lot of GPs go down that route as well. And a lot of women are misdiagnosed to start with or fobbed off. Um, and one of the research papers is called, is it me? Because you get to the point where you start to question, well, am I making a mountain out of a molehill? You know, is this really happening or, or was it just all in my head? Am I just not coping? Am I just a bit anemic and I need a vitamin or an iron tablet? You doubt yourself. Um, so yeah, so unfortunately that kind of picture for women is really, really tricky. And like I said, lupus does tend to occur in childbearing ages. So it can be easily misdiagnosed as something else, anemia. MS is another one that it can be confused with because if you have CNS involvement, central nervous system involvement, can be quite similar to MS in, in the early stages. Um, thyroid issues can complicate things. You know, there is various issues in the women of childbearing age that can complicate diagnosis. Um, so yeah, that does make it even more complicated for the women that might have it. So in terms of your diagnosis then about, um, you know, you being diagnosed with systemic lupus, was that in 2014 when you saw that NHS rheumatologist or was it then later after that? Because you, you did say, that's it became complicated yeah it did get really complicated for me um basically I asked if I could have a second opinion um and it was refused um and I was told I didn't need a second opinion um so basically from 2014 onwards I started the hydroxychloroquine with this belief that I was only going to be ill in the summer um, because I was photosensitive, my lupus is triggered by the sun. So I thought, well, if I can learn to control that and take the hydroxychloroquine during the summer, then I'll be okay. But as time went on, I began to realize that the hydroxychloroquine wasn't enough. I literally got to sort of a year, 12 months, maybe 18 months of taking it and thought I can only just feel the benefit now. It was really, really slow and it didn't do a huge amount. I started to get flares during the winter, had some really horrific flares that lasted, you know, most of the winter months. I was thinking this isn't adding up. Um, you know, I'm ill all year round and the flares were just getting worse. So, yeah, I basically got a bit frustrated with the fact that all of the Lupus UK centres of excellence were in England. Um, I think there were about seven or eight of them at that point. There are more now. Um, and I just didn't seem to get anywhere with the Welsh system. They were very much, you know, in England, you obviously had the choice that you could go to a centre of excellence. But in Wales, I was being told I didn't even need a second opinion, let alone go to a centre of excellence. Um, so I went to my MP. Um, I wrote a long letter, tried to set out exactly what had happened. 
and explained to him why I thought I needed a referral to a lupus expert because I needed help. I still wasn't well. I think I had the wrong diagnosis and I thought I needed more medication to control what I was experiencing. Um, so my MP runs health clinics at his constituency office. Um, and basically they gave me the opportunity to come along and meet um, some managers from my health board um, and have a chat with them about my situation, which I did. And in those days, I was still quite, well, I was struggling to deal with what I was experiencing and also struggling to deal with the fact that I wasn't getting the help that I needed. I think we all think that when we're poorly with a chronic illness, the NHS is going to be there for us. But it was beginning for me to realise that actually I've got a battle on my hands here. I'm ill and I'm having to fight for what I need. So I went along, we had an hour's appointment. My husband sat by the side of me holding my hand because I was quite emotional and I was nervous. Um, I'd done a lot of notes and preparation um, and basically the ladies were lovely. They listened to me. I thought they understood what I was going through and they said they'd go away and look into it and they'd come back to me as soon as they can. And then three weeks later, basically, I got an email saying, no, I don't need a second opinion. The local rheumatologists are more than capable of looking after me and diagnosing lupus. So no. <laughs> um, and that was it. So I was absolutely devastated. And by this time I was really unwell. Um, I was experiencing headaches and migraine um, that basically lasted eight, nine, ten weeks every day. I was waking up in the middle of the night with it. I had it all day long. Then the fatigue, I was literally like a walking zombie. I just couldn't cope. So once we got that email saying there was no way I could get a second opinion on the NHS, my husband said, this is crazy. We need to go somewhere that you know that specializes in this we need to get you well so we booked an appointment at the london lupus clinic um at london bridge um and went up there and i just wished i'd gone sooner i really do um i had my husband basically i was i was out of it i didn't really know what was going on he guided me on the train the tube we you know taxi we went there it was all a bit of a blur um and after an hour's appointment and an examination going through my blood tests and listening to the symptoms that I'd had, he basically said, well, you've got systemic lupus um, and you've had it all along. Um, so it was this weird feeling then of actually feeling a huge sense of relief, which sounds ridiculous because I'd found out I had a systemic illness that was far worse than my original diagnosis. But it was relief that someone listened to me took me seriously and that I had been I'd been right all along I had needed a second opinion I had needed to see an expert and I did need more medication um, and lots of things happened in between this is sort of like April 2017 a few things happened in between but that's basically the upshot of it and I was you know, thinking, why on earth didn't I go down this route before? Why did I let it get this far? But it's all very well with hindsight, isn't it? It's such a huge learning curve when you're diagnosed with something like this. And like I said, you just don't expect to be battling an NHS and almost a government as well, you know, because I, I you know, I have with things that have happened since then in my involvement with Lupus UK and Fair Treatment for Women in Wales, I have um, written to Welsh Government and the Health Minister and various people and they are convinced they have the system right and even now here we are in 2021 um, you don't have a right to a second opinion um, 
and lupus patients aren't granted um, the right to go over the border into England to a centre of excellence. So it's quite a frustrating situation all round. But for me, um, having that appointment in April 2017 was the best thing I did. I've had eight appointments with that expert since then. Um, and luckily for me, he's good with my medication and I'm probably in the best place I've been in for years, really. Um, uh, but I don't have an NHS rheumatologist as things stand. I just see him and then my GP works with him. Um, and at the moment, Touchwood is working. And that, that's uh, amazing, Wendy, that you've you know, got to that point where you finally know what it is that you have. And um, I, I can appreciate that feeling of relief, because like you say, even though you've just found out that you've you've got this systemic illness that is worse than what they originally said you had um yeah you can understand that relief of, of just knowing that yeah. this is this is what it is because you know I guess part of that and I, I don't know what your thoughts are part of that is now you once you know what you have you can now then move forward with it yeah definitely I mean it's a life-changing diagnosis and like everyone's different so you have to find a way of coping with it um and I think I've developed good coping mechanisms as well I'm photosensitive so now I'm very very careful with my exposure to the sun in the summer I wear uv protection tops I wear factor 50 on my face every single day so I've learned to sort of limit my exposure in that respect um we're supposed to avoid stress, which makes me laugh because it's all very well. But, you know, who has a life where they can avoid stress? But basically, I don't work. Um, I haven't worked since 2016. So I've been able to concentrate on looking after my children, and looking after my health. And I know that I'm really privileged to be able to do that. And not everyone else is so lucky. But, you know, those kind of measures um, and precautions have helped me along with the medication to get to where I am now um but yeah you it's not easy there are days weeks sometimes when I have to stay in bed if I'm struggling you have to give in to the fatigue unfortunately it's not something you can work walk through once it hits you it's like hitting a brick wall you can't keep your eyes open you can't walk so I've learned that rather than feel guilty about having to go to bed or take a nap um that that is what I need to be me and and to be better so um although that's silly to say you never feel guilt I think as a parent you always feel guilt if you you're not getting the balance right but ultimately yeah I have learned with the medication and some life changes that I am getting a fairly good quality of life at the moment or you know for someone living with lupus absolutely um how does it make you feel when you, you talked about um some of the um, I guess we could call it almost like campaigning that you've done uh, since. Um, how, how do you feel now? You mentioned you know, we're now in 2021 and, uh, you know, people with, with lupus in Wales still can't access um, the centres of excellence over the border. Um, that the, you know, the system hasn't really changed in, in all this time um, that, you know, that you've been going through this. Um, how, how, how do you how do you feel about that? To be honest with you, angry, um, angry and frustrated. And I think 
that's probably why I've ended up in the position I am now as Vice Chair of Lupus UK. Um, because, you know, I it still upsets me now thinking about the way that I've been treated and what I've had to do. And the fact that I haven't made any progress, we, like you said, it's, it's eight years since my diagnosis now and all the things that I've done haven't made much of a difference. Um, and I run a support group now. So I speak to people that with diagnosis pending, people that have been living with it for years. And I have not just my experience locally, but I have lots of other people in Wales then coming to me and saying similar things have happened to them. Um, and I, I just don't understand how these decisions are made, you know, for there to be a system in England that works very, very well. Um, you know, the centres of excellence are increasing in number. I think there's two more applications on the way now. So before we know it, we'll have like 13, 14 centres of excellence in England. So there you can have, you can ask for a second opinion, you, you're allowed one. So you can be referred to a centre of excellence near to you. The lupus expert helps with diagnosis or setting a treatment plan. Or if you're flaring really badly, you can go and see that expert and your local rheumatologist looks after you in between, monitors your blood and does things like that. So basically they work together. That doesn't happen here. There's no, there's no sort of, I don't know how to explain it really. Um, I do find it quite frustrating that, you know, the doctors themselves don't seem to be backing this. Um, I would like to think that a doctor would want the best for their patient um, and anything that would make them feel better they're prepared to do, but there doesn't seem to be that cooperation or support here. And like I said, um, NHS Wales and Welsh Government just keep saying that you don't need expert care your local rheumatologist is more than capable of looking after you um, they've got a policy that they think everyone wants their health care as close to home as possible that might be true if I broke my toe or broke my arm or needed a hip replacement but when you are living with a chronic illness that could potentially shorten your life and it could potentially affect your organs like your heart, your lungs, your kidneys, your brain, you are prepared to travel. And that is the same for you know all the people I speak to about these issues, all the people in my group, all of them say that they would be prepared to travel to see a lupus expert because it would change their quality of life. You know, ultimately, like we've already covered, it affects your ability to be a parent, to be a wife, to have a job, to play a part in your community. All of those things are extremely restricted if you're not medicated and controlling your lupus adequately. Um, so it's a huge thing to be living with. Um, and it, yeah, so I think that anger and frustration at my own situation and then realising that other people are in the same situation as me, it's not just me, it's lupus patients right across Wales, um that's kind of driven me on so rather than becoming and I hope I'm not too bitter and twisted but it's kind of um it's given me a drive it's given me something to aim for and it's given me a purpose which is great absolutely I, I can certainly sense that that like that, that drive and determination to want to to make that difference and it you know it, it's um like you say it's not as you said it's not just you that's in this situation it's you know loads of other people are, are in a similar situation and it's really interesting that the feedback that you've had from 
from the NHS and the, you know, the, the, gov the Welsh Government of, about that policy of being treated close to home, which, you know, yes, you know, we'd all love to be treated close to home, but like you say, if you if you require specialist input and there isn't a, a specialist in your area or a centre of excellence in your area, then you know surely the you know the patient can make that decision if they prepared to, to travel. And like you say, most people are prepared to do that if it means that they get to be seen by 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 the centre of excellence. So that's 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 really interesting. Um, You've talked quite a lot there as well about how this has impacted um, your your life. Um, you, you talked about um, you know your role, your role as a mother and and employment as well. Um, and you've you've mentioned that you're um, in a, in a good place at the moment in terms of your of your condition. But is there anything else you'd like to add about how this has impacted on your on your life and how you've got to where you are now? Yeah, um, yeah, it's a really tricky one. And I think a big help for me was definitely reaching out to the online community. Um, that definitely has helped with not just gaining knowledge about lupus symptoms and, and you know, sort of trying to work out, did I have systemic issues, etc. But that knowing that other people out there are experiencing the same thing as you, you know, health wise, you know, it's sad that there are so many people, but it, it gives you it gives you comfort that those people understand where you're coming from. You know, I think ultimately lupus is something, you know, I, I have had patches of hair fall out, but I'm lucky that they've not been visible. And to most people, I probably look quite well. Um even when I'm not, but you know, it is a strange illness. I can imagine that people would look at most people with lupus and say, well, there's nothing wrong with them, but then people don't see me on my days or months in bed or whatever. Um, so yeah, so just that understanding, I think is quite challenging with family and friends at times, getting them to sort of understand what's happening. Um, and, you know, you have to, sometimes you back out of plans last minute so I've missed friends 50th birthday party I've missed a hen do I've missed nights out with my friends literally last minute I might have thought oh well I'll have a little nap before I go out tonight and then I'll fall asleep in bed and sleep for far longer than I was intending to and wake up an hour before I'm supposed to be going out and think actually I can't get myself out of bed I can't do this tonight so I've had to cancel last minute um so yeah, even with the medication and, and changing how you live and trying to control it as much as you can, um, at the end of the day, sometimes it defeats you. Um, and you do have to, you know, that impacts on not just your life, but everyone else's as well, um, and friendships and what have you. I'm lucky that I've got some really good friends that do understand, but I know that other people have, you know, lost friendships over this kind of thing and lost partners over it as well. Um, it's really hard to explain to people how it feels when you essentially look quite well on the outside. Would you describe lupus as, you hear that phrase, don't you, invisible? Yeah. Would you describe it in that way? Yeah, I think it is. Like I said, unless you've got really visible facial rashes or big patches of hair that have fallen out, 
you know, people aren't really going to see that. Um, I think I I get brain fog. That's something that people might pick up on. Um, yeah, my um, my GP says that I have um, systemic lupus with an inflammatory bowel process going on and with some central nervous system involvement as well. A lot of my issues have been headaches, migraine, cluster migraine, you name it. I've had the headaches called various different things um, to the point where um, I get like, she calls it headaches with my elder, where I get pain in my ear um, and I can have stabbing pain through my eye. And sometimes it actually feels like a knife through your eyeball. Um, and then I get forgetful, which the fatigue makes even worse. I have memory problems. It can cause lack of patience, which has definitely been me at times, unfortunately. Um, so those those are something that people might pick up on in your everyday life. You know, my husband, sometimes he'll, him and the kids will laugh at me. I'll say something and they'll look at me and they'll go, well, what do you mean, mum? Didn't you mean this? And I'll, no, I definitely said it right. And they say, no, mum, you didn't actually say that. You said this. And it's awful because, you know, I have a degree. I had a career. I had a really good job. But there are times when the words that I want to come out of my mouth don't actually come out or I won't make sense. And I'm being challenged on it. And you genuinely think that you're saying what you want, but it's not coming out like that. So I guess some people might have picked up on that as the years have gone on, that sometimes I have those moments like the lupus brain fog. Um, but otherwise, no, it's it's an invisible thing. Um, and people when they're very unwell they tend to stay at home at bed in bed so you don't see people at their worst absolutely i'm just wondering um how or if um how you were impacted by the covid pandemic yeah sure. um, obviously we're, uh, we're about 18 months into it now um but how did that impact on on you um, and your condition or, or the, your care and things like that? Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, those sort of first early weeks when we knew what was happening in Wuhan and then um, Italy were quite terrifying because I kind of realised that was vulnerable. I take a lot of medication. I take immune suppressant medication. Um, so I knew that I was potentially going to be in a vulnerable category. Um, and in the first few weeks, the children were still going to school. So that was really challenging for them. They were petrified, to be honest, to think that they might bring it home and make me very, very unwell. So they'd started to come home and go to their bedrooms and take their uniform off and have a wash before they came down to me. And that's basically how it started. And obviously, everyone was terrified. But I, I was I had realized that I would be vulnerable and I did get put into the clinically extremely vulnerable category. So I had the letters from the chief medical officer telling me that I, you know, I had to stay at home. I had to shield. Um, and it, it wasn't easy. I mean, I had three children at home with me. They were homeschooling for that period. So that risk had gone, but my husband was a key worker and he had to carry on going to work. So I think, you know, I can't speak for all lupus patients because my experience is probably very different to a lot in that my husband was carrying on going. He didn't miss a day. He had to keep going to work. And then eventually my children went back to school. So I've had three teenagers in the house now um, who want to be with their friends and live their lives and get on with things. So my family situation with that has probably been quite different. I've had to try and sort of 
you know, take a sensible approach that they're not damaged any further by what's been happening, um, but protect myself as well. So it's been quite a tricky balance at times. Um, and I know a lot of lupus patients, well, some of them are still sort of shielding now. Unfortunately, there are some medications involved in lupus treatment that have meant that some people, despite having three injections now, haven't got any um protection from their vaccinations at all so there are people out there that are still shielding or taking very extreme precautions to protect themselves um i've had my three jabs and yeah i am getting out and doing my own shopping and um, seeing my friends and what have you um and for me that works for me mentally got to the point where i had to balance mental health and physical risks as well but i yeah i i'm I'm coping okay, but it's been a weird time, but a weird time for everybody. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm just wondering if you have any key messages to our listeners today, and any key take-home messages from what you've what you've said that you would like people to take away from this. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot because even in the last week, I've had people come into me that think they've got lupus, but they're not getting help from their GP or consultants or whatever. Um, and obviously, I've been through it myself. I went to um, a talk by Professor Graham Hughes in 2019, um, and Professor Hughes is the man for lupus he's the head of the london lupus clinic and he's worked his entire life helping lupus patients um and he did a talk at this um, patient information day that i went to in london and he basically said if he could give any advice to medical students or people that want to become rheumatologists and deal with lupus patients is listen to the patient and i think that is it it's such a simple message but for him that was his advice and it does work you know I have women coming to me now saying no one's really listening to what I'm saying you know your own body and you know what your capabilities are and you know when something's wrong so I think it's difficult isn't it the NHS is under a huge amount of pressure especially at the moment GPs you know your time is limited with appointments so I think there's a lot of situations where doctors don't get to step back and look at the full picture and think, hang on a minute, is something linking this? And that's probably what happened in my situation. I'd had allergies all my life, um, the migraine, the period issue, you know, all those things. You go to the doctor with a rash, they deal with the rash and they give you a cream for the rash. But that might have been connected to the last six appointments and symptoms that you've gone to the GPs with then. They haven't got the time to step back and look at the full sort of holistic picture of your health. Um, but maybe if they just with women of our age with these sort of symptoms, if they listen to the patient and take a look at the overall picture, I think that would help a lot more people get a diagnosis quickly. Absolutely. Like you say, a simple message, but very, very powerful. Listen to your listen to your patients. Um, yeah, that's great. And um, is there anything else that you would like to tell us today? Oh, I don't know. There's so many things I could be here with you all day talking about lupus and what's going on in the lupus world and what we go through. But yeah, I think 
you know, the symptoms are so huge. But, you know, if you think that you might have an autoimmune, you know, and it's not just lupus, there are other rare autoimmune illnesses. There's Sjogren's, there's vasculitis, there's scleroderma and Raynaud's. And a lot of those have overlapping symptoms with lupus, you know. Um, I had an anti-roux um, antibody test, so I probably have Sjogren's as well. I do have dry eyes, dry mouth and other symptoms that could be associated with Sjogren's as well. So there are lots of illnesses with very similar um, symptoms for patients. And I think if you think that you potentially have something that is lupus-like, or like another rare autoimmune disease, you know, unfortunately, we're living at a time where you do have to do a lot of the research yourself. You do have to do a lot of digging. There's great information out there on the RADA, um website and on Lupus UK website. But I think I have been told by a rheumatology nurse that the educated patients are the ones that achieve the best possible outcomes. So we are living in a time where you have to find out about your illness, do your own research, and then push. If you think that there is something wrong, you really have to push to get a diagnosis and get your treatment. So yeah, educate yourself, do all the reading and the background research you can, because uh, for me, I needed to know, but it's also helped me unravel my illness and get the right medication and get me to a better place. Thank you to Wendy for giving us an insight into her experience of living with lupus. For further information on lupus, please go to Lupus UK website. If you live in Wales, you're welcome to follow Fair Treatment for the Women of Wales.